0: chapter 3 part 2 book 1 of confession of a child of the century this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by martin geeson confession of a child of the century by alfred de musset translated by kendall warren book one part two chapter three had planned a reunion of young people at his country house the best wines a splendid table gaming dancing hunting nothing was lacking Desjeuners was rich and generous. He combined antique hospitality with modern custom. Moreover, one could always find in his house the best books. His conversation was that of a man of learning and culture. He was a problem. I took with me a taciturn humour that nothing could overcome he respected it scrupulously i did not reply to his questions and he dropped the subject he was satisfied that i had forgotten my mistress nevertheless i went to the chase and appeared at the table and was as convivial as the best he asked no more One of the most unfortunate proclivities of inexperienced youth is to judge of the world from first impressions. But it must be confessed that there is a race of men who are unfortunate. It is that race which says to youth, you are right in believing in evil, and we know what it is i have heard for example a curious thing spoken of a medium between good and evil a certain arrangement between heartless women and men worthy of them they call love the passing sentiment they speak of it as of an engine constructed by a wagon builder or a building contractor they said to me this and that are agreed upon such and such phrases are spoken and certain others are repeated in reply letters are written in a prescribed manner the knees adjusted in a certain attitude all that was regulated as a parade these fine fellows had grey hair that made me laugh unfortunately for me i cannot tell a woman i despise that i love her even when i know that it is only a convention and that she will not be deceived by it i have never bent my knee to the ground when my heart did not go with it So that class of women known as easy is unknown to me, or if I allow myself to be taken with them, it is without knowing it, and through simplicity. I can understand that one's soul can be put aside, but not that it should be handled that there is some pride in this i confess but i do not intend either to boast or to lower myself above all things i hate those women who laugh at love and i permit them to reciprocate the sentiment there will never be any dispute between us such women are beneath the courtesans your courtesans may lie as well as they but courtesans are capable of love and those women are not i remember a woman who loved me and who said to a man many times richer than i with whom she was living i am weary of you i am going to my lover that woman is worth more than many others who are not despised by society i passed the entire season with and learned that my mistress had left france that news left in my heart a feeling of languor which i could not overcome at the sight of that world which surrounded me so new to me, I experienced at first a kind of bizarre curiosity, at once sad and profound, that caused me to look at things as does a restless horse. An incident occurred which made a deep impression on me. Dejeuner had with him a very beautiful mistress, who loved him much one evening as i was walking with him i told him that i considered her such as she was that is to say admirable as much on account of her attachment for him as because of her beauty in short i praised her highly and with warmth giving him to understand that he ought to be happy he made no reply It was his manner, for he was the driest of men. That night, when all had retired, and I had been in bed some fifteen minutes, I heard a knock at my door. I supposed it was some one of my friends, who could not sleep, and invited him to enter. There appeared before my astonished eyes a woman, very pale carrying a bouquet in her hands, to which was attached a piece of paper bearing these words, to Octave from his friend Dejeuner. I had no sooner read these words when a flash of light came to me. I understood the meaning of this action of Dejeuner in making me this turk's gift. It was intended for a lesson in love. That woman loved him. I had praised her, and he wished to tell me that I ought not to love her, whether I refused her or accepted her. That made me think the poor woman was weeping and did not dare dry her tears for fear i would see them what threat had he used to make her come i did not know i said to her you may return and fear nothing she replied that if she should return desgenais would send her back to paris yes i replied you are beautiful and i am susceptible to temptation but you weep and your tears are not being shed for me i care nothing for the rest go therefore and i will see to it that you are not sent back to paris One of my peculiarities is that meditation, which with the great number is a firm and constant quality of the mind, is in my case an instinct, independent of the will, and it seizes me like an access of passion. It comes to me at intervals, in its own good time, in spite of me, and in almost any place but when it comes i can do nothing against it it takes me whither it pleases by whatever route seems good to it when the woman had left i sat up my friend i said to myself behold what has been sent you if dejeuner had not seen fit to send you his mistress he would not have been mistaken perhaps in supposing you might fall in love with her have you well considered it a sublime and divine mystery is accomplished such a being costs nature the most vigilant maternal care yet a man who would cure you can think of nothing better than to offer you lips which belong to him in order to teach you how to cease to love how was it accomplished others than you have doubtless admired her but they ran no risk she might employ all the seduction she pleased you alone were in danger It must be that Dejeuner has a heart, since he lives. In what respect does he differ from you? He is a man who believes in nothing, fears nothing, who knows no care or ennui, perhaps, and yet it is clear that a scratch on the finger would fill him with terror for if his body abandons him what becomes of him he lives only in the body what sort of creature is that who treats his soul as the flagellants treat their bodies can one live without a head think of it here is a man who possesses the most beautiful woman in the world He is young and ardent. He finds her beautiful, and tells her so. She replies that she loves him. Someone touches him on the shoulder, and says to him, She is unfaithful. Nothing more. He is sure of himself. If someone had said, She is a poisoner, He would perhaps have continued to love her. He would not have given her a kiss less. But she is unfaithful, and it is no more a question of love with him than of the star of Saturn. What is there in that word? A word that is merited, positive, withering, it is agreed. But why? It is still but a word can you kill a body with a word and if you love that body someone pours a glass of wine and says to you do not love that for you can get four for six francs and if you become intoxicated but that dejeuner loves his mistress since he keeps her he must therefore have a peculiar fashion of loving no he has not his fashion of loving is not love and he cares no more for the woman who merits affection than for her who is unworthy he loves no one simply and truly what has led him to that was he born thus to love is as natural as to eat and to drink. He is not a man. Is he a dwarf or a giant? What always that impassive body! Upon what does he feed? What brew does he drink? Behold him at thirty, as old as the senile Mithridates. The poisons of vipers are his familiar friends. There is the great secret, my child, the key to which you must seize. By whatever process of reasoning debauchery may be defended, it will be proven that it is natural at a given day, hour or evening, but not tomorrow nor every day. There is not a people on earth which has not considered woman either the companion and consolation of man, or the sacred instrument of life, and has not under these two forms honoured her. And yet here is an armed warrior who leaps into the abyss that God has dug with his own hands, between man and brute. As well might he deny the fact. What mute titan is this, who dares repress under the kisses of the body, the love of the thought, and place on human lips the stigma of the brute, the seal of eternal silence? There is a word that should be studied there breathes under the wind of those dismal forests that are called secrets of the body, one of those mysteries that the angels of destruction whisper in the ear of night as it descends upon the earth, that man is better or worse than God has made him. His bowels are like those of sterile women where nature has not completed her work or there is distilled in the shadow some venomous poison ah yes neither occupation nor study have been able to cure you my friend to forget and to learn that is your device you finger the leaves of dead books you are too young for ruins look about you the pale herd of men surrounds you the eyes of the sphinx glitter in the midst of divine hieroglyphics decipher the book of life courage scholar launch out on the Styx the invulnerable flood and let the waves of sorrow waft you to death or to god end of chapter 3 part 2 book 1 recording by martin geeson in hazelmere surrey